I would like to ask you if you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. There's a Bible app event for this uh, message, which means if you have the Bible app, you open it, you look at the menu, you look for an event near you, you find this one, you can follow along that way. But if you have a good old-fashioned Bible, maybe one sitting on a rack in a pew a chair near you, you can just open to Matthew 28. We're going to be reading about eight verses there as we begin. This is Easter Sunday, and so that, that's what, that which we're talking about is the resurrection of Christ. If we think over the past several days, it would have been on Thursday that he had the Last Supper with his disciples and was arrested. Friday, he was placed on the cross and he died. Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, he's in the tomb. And Sunday morning, he comes out of the tomb, he is risen. And we're going to read about that morning, just a few verses here in Matthew 28, starting at verse 1. Follow along as I read. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. If I was going to pull a key verse out of that for you today, it would be that one at verse 6 that begins with the words, He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. I believe in a resurrection. There are a lot of different reasons that you can believe in a resurrection, um, but not everyone does. For example, an atheist or someone who's not a believer, an agnostic, they would say, nah, I don't think I believe in the resurrection. And many Muslims don't believe in a resurrection. In fact, most of them, almost all. They believe uh, one of two theories. One of them is a swoon theory, that he just kind of swooned, but then he came back. He kind of passed out, and then he came back. There's another theory they have that's pretty complex about uh, exchanging bodies here and there. I'm not sure how that works. They don't believe in a resurrection. I think a Buddhist would say to you, resurrection, what does that matter? They don't believe in a resurrection. Why should we believe in a resurrection? And I want to give you a couple couple reasons to believe in a resurrection that might sound unusual to you. The first one I'm going to give you is this. I believe in a resurrection because it's unnecessary. Huh. Did I read you right, Pastor Steve? Yeah, you did. You see, you can start a religion without a resurrection. Every other major world religion lacks a historical resurrection. It is unique to Christianity. If I were Peter, James, John, and the rest, I'd think twice before I would put something like resurrection into some religion that I'm fabricating here because it's simply unnecessary. And it complicates things in ways that they don't need to be complicated. But there it is, in black and white. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Another reason that I believe in a resurrection is kind of similar. I believe in a resurrection because it's unbelievable. Wait, what? You believe in it because it's unbelievable? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to believe, right? Think about what the Bible says happened to Jesus. In less than 24 hours, he is beaten beyond recognition. Second, he's nailed to a cross, hands and feet. Third, he is hung there throughout the heat of a Middle Eastern day. And finally, he stops breathing. And then, just to ensure that he is dead, 
They have a trained professional executioner pierce his side with a spear. And when they do that, the Bible says, blood and water mixed together poured out of his side. That's either the serum and the blood separated, or he has actually punched the fluid that's around Jesus' heart. Either way, Jesus was dead. He was dead. And he's placed in a tomb. And then three days later, he gets up, folds the linen in which he was wrapped, and walks away from that tomb alive. And I think that phrase you hear someone say, you can't make this stuff up. (laughs) Why would you? I mean, if I were writing the story of Jesus in the hopes of starting some kind of new religion, I probably wouldn't make religion, I'm sorry, I probably wouldn't make resurrection the issue upon which this religion will live or die. It's unbelievable. But there it is, in black and white. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. I have a friend who had a near-death experience. You know what I mean by that? In fact, uh, she's probably watching right now. Some of you know her. She told her friends about it after she had the near-death experience, Christian friends, She told them. She saw the bright light. She heard God speaking to her. And she longs today for heaven because that experience was so wonderful. But as she was telling her Christian church-going friends this story, they responded with what might be surprising to hear coming from Christian church-growing people. They said, well, you know, when your brain is deprived of oxygen, it can imagine some pretty strange things. So those are Christians, and they're struggling to believe that someone could come back from the dead. Do you see any irony there? (laughs) Okay, let me be honest. I know you're probably watching. (laughs) I have trouble believing it too. But I believe it because I know you. I have trouble believing it because (laughs) it is hard to imagine anyone going into a grave as Jesus did, or even dying on the table for a period of time, and then coming back, that goes against everything we believe about life and death. It might be one of the most difficult things I ask you to imagine being true when I tell you someone is dead, not just for a few minutes or a few hours, but for three days, and then they came back to life. That might be one of the hardest things to believe. So if you're starting a religion, you'd be pretty wise to leave that out of it. And the only reason that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would all, every one, 100% of the gospel writers, the only reason they would record it, write it down, and put put it in their story is because it really happened. There's no other reason to do that. Otherwise, they're being very, very foolish. I believe in a resurrection because it's unnecessary. I believe in a resurrection because it's unbelievable. And I believe in a resurrection because it is unavoidable. Unavoidable. It's all over the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, all the way to Revelation, you hear it over and over again. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. (laughs) And it's in the Old Testament too. There are psalms that speak about the resurrection. 
both Christ's resurrection and ours to follow. The book of Ezekiel, it was, it was referenced in a song that we opened up with this morning, talks about a valley of dry bones. And God says to Ezekiel, can these live again? And Ezekiel, he's cool. <laughs> he's not going to answer any questions. He just says, well, only you know, Lord. And then the foot bone connected to the leg bone. And, you know, the whole thing happens, resurrection. In the ancient times, being foretold. And Job, perhaps the oldest book in all of Scripture, maybe the oldest story recorded, speaks this way. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. It's unavoidable. You can't take just the cool stuff about Jesus and leave the resurrection behind. You can't say, I like Jesus, man, because, you know, that whole business about love your neighbor as yourself, I'm down with that. And I really like that business about about treating others well and the poor, the way he cared about the poor, and justice, and I really like Jesus. You can't take just the good teaching and leave the resurrection or his deity out of it. Saturday morning, there's a group of men that have read books together for years. If I were to stack those books up, I dare say it would be that highest stack of books that they've read. Right now, they're reading a book by C.S. Lewis. The name of the book is Mere Christianity. A couple, three weeks ago, they read these words. Listen to them from C.S. Lewis, one of the greater minds of the last century. I am trying to prevent anyone saying really the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I cannot accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, However strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. So it is with all of Jesus. You have to accept, you cannot avoid the issue of the resurrection any more than you can avoid that Christ is Lord. Man, there's so much more I'd like to talk to you about under this topic, reasons to believe in a resurrection of Jesus, but I want to move on and talk to you about how belief in a resurrection changes us. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll be looking at uh, maybe five or six sentences there, verse 13 through 18, in just a few minutes. Before we do that, though, I want to note that the resurrection demonstrates Christ's power. 
The cross demonstrates Jesus' love for us, but the resurrection shows Jesus' power. He's talking in John chapter 10, verse 17, and he says, the reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. And while the scripture, while the scripture envisions all of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all involved in the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus wants you to know he has the power. He has the power to lay his life down, and he has the power to take it back up. And that's significant because it tells me that the one who has power over everything, even the grave, has power to help me along. Because if he has power over the grave, then helping with school studies or caring for my next doctor's visit or making sure my kids are okay in a social media world filled with bullies and lies, those things are cakewalks for someone who has power over the grave. The resurrection shows Christ's power. And in doing so, the resurrection gives us hope, hope for eternity. You did turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.13, right? Going to read 13 through 18, verse 13 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus all those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What did Job say? How my heart yearns within me. I love my life. I have a happy life. And I am happy to be alive, and I have no death wish. I have no death wish whatsoever, none. But at the same time, I am looking forward to the next life. I am looking forward to not needing eyeglasses. That'll be cool. I am looking forward to a world, an existence free of dentists. How about it? Got an amen from the front row. Yeah. I have a familial tremor. Do you know what that is? If you're close enough, you can see it. It's called a nicely shakes. Great, 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 great grandpa nicely had shakes like this. And I've had them since I was a little boy and they're not getting any better. I look forward to a time when those are gone. I look forward to a time when I can speak to my parents. I look forward to seeing my father-in-law again and saying, Jim, you were a great father-in-law. I look forward to seeing my mom And one of the first things I want to say to my mom is, mom, you were a great mom because her dementia made her feel like a failure late in life. And I just want to say you were a great mom when she is in her right mind and have her hear it. I look forward to seeing my dad. I'm going to say to him the words that every dad wants to hear. You were right. (laughs) Because man, was he right? He was so right. 
I am looking forward to seeing Jesus. I am looking forward to seeing him do for me what his word promises in the last, maybe the next to the last chapter. I think it's chapter 21 of Revelation where it says he will wipe every tear from our eyes. I got a couple. Would you wipe them away, Jesus? Oh, this is a good life. This is a pleasant life. This is a joyful life. This is a fun life that I have right now. But the next life will be more full of goodness and more full of pleasure and more full of fun and more full of joy because the one who invented goodness, pleasure, fun, and joy is risen. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. And the resurrection changes my life because it gives me hope. And the resurrection, it... (laughs) It confirms Christ's atoning work. The atonement of Christ, that thing we talk about that makes us fit for heaven, is confirmed by the resurrection. <laughs> if Christians believe that in some unfathomable, unfathomable way, wow, I can't say that. Say that word for me. Thank you, that word. Christians believe that in some unfathomable way, (laughs) I said it really well in the first service, we believe in some strange way (laughs) that Jesus died on the cross and atoned for our sins, and that by trusting in his death, we have life. And some people might be able to believe that even if he were still in the grave, I could imagine thinking to myself, if Jesus was still in the grave, he's in the grave because he paid my way to heaven and I know I can go to heaven because he died for me. And maybe Christians who would find themselves in that fictitious situation might feel like, I I respect him like I respect Abraham Lincoln. But I think some of us might wonder, how do you know Jesus' death did what you think it did? How do you know for sure that the resurrection, I'm sorry, that his death took care of your sins. Did Jesus' death really accomplish anything? And the resurrection screams, yes. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. In the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, we learn in verse 17 that without the resurrection, the game is over. It says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sin. There's no atonement if he hasn't been raised. And the passage goes on to say, just three verses later, it says, but Christ has been, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who fall asleep. (laughs) So yeah, your sin is paid for, and you have proof, the living, breathing, walking Jesus Christ. Therefore, the scripture says, Let nothing, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The resurrection of Christ changes everything. It changes everything. I believe in the resurrection. It would be good to talk about what that phrase, believe in the resurrection, means. Maybe to take a look at belief in the resurrection. And I kind of want to begin by telling you what I'm not talking about. (laughs) I want to begin by telling you what belief in the resurrection does not look like. It does not look like a head nod. It's not just intellectual assent. 
or mental ascent. Belief in the resurrection isn't just saying, "Uh uh-huh. You know, I've had the conversations, maybe you've had them too. Are you a Christian? Oh yeah, I believe in God and Jesus and all that stuff. What stuff? You know, the stuff Christians believe in, whatever it is. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know that's not saving faith. That's not, not, not anything other than a head nod. And you know you're not really on board. You're not fooling yourself. That kind of faith is neither transformational nor saving. Oh, and by the way, believing in a resurrection, it's not just faith in a historic event. Some people don't believe that we went to the moon. I tend to believe that we did. I find it very odd that people don't believe that. I feel confident that we did. But here's what I want you to hear. Whether I believe that or not doesn't change a thing about my life. I got a buddy, he doesn't think we went to the moon. Doesn't change a thing about his life. I believe we did go to the moon. Doesn't change a thing about his life. I want to say this. Hear it carefully. Believing in Jesus' resurrection, just believing historically that the tomb was empty does not change your life. James talks about stuff like that. When he says in chapter 2, verse 19, you believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. When we talk about belief in the resurrection, we're not talking about belief that a historical event actually took place. Here's what belief in the resurrection looks like. Uh, First, it's faith in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. It's not just believing that he went to the cross. It's not just trusting that he died. It's not just trusting that he rose from the dead. It is trusting him and him personally that he loved you and gave himself for you. He loved you and gave himself for you. I have a buddy who baptized a woman in his church. And he was baptizing this woman. And beforehand, he said to her, is it your desire to follow the Lord in baptism? She said, yes, it is. And he said, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and paid, paid for your atonement? And she said something like this. This isn't exact by any stretch of the imagination, but she said something like this. Well, I believe that, that he does that sort of thing for people. Hmm. What about you? What about you? Because if it doesn't come down to you, then it doesn't really transform you. It doesn't change your heart if you don't understand it with your heart. Let me try to say this clearly. (laughs) As the concept that may... I want to read it. Look, as the concept that the God who made it all loves you personally sinks into your life, that is when you begin to experience resurrection power. Do you understand that? as the concept that the God who made everything loves you, as that concept sinks into your heart, that is what begins to change you. And that is faith in a resurrection. And until you have faith in that person, then you're not really on the playing field. You're not really there. Belief in a resurrection is faith in the person and faith in the destiny that he has in mind for you, that he'll take you where you want to be. Before he went to the cross, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come for you. And when you trust this resurrected Christ that he holds your future, that changes your present. It changes how you live right now because you know where you're going. And it gives you a sense of confidence, faith in the journey with Jesus. 
there was a short period of time when my son, I hope he's watching right now. Hi, Tim. <laughs> there was a short period of time when, when we would get into the car, and I'd kind of forgotten about this until I read something similar in a book by Matt Chandler. We would get in the car together, and he'd be in the back seat, in his baby seat in the back. And I, we'd, we'd, I'd start the car, and he would say something like this. Dad, do you know how to get where we're going? <laughs> and I would say, yes, Tim. We're going to Grandma and Grandpa's. We've been there. And he would say, but Dad, you don't know the way. <laughs> and I would say, Really? I've taken you there dozens of times. No, you don't know the way. Do you remember that, Laurel? Laurel doesn't remember that. I remember it, probably because it caused a deep wound in me. Because <laughs> it's not complimentary, right? It's not complimentary at all. I want to say, before there was Google Maps, my wife would say to me, why don't you pull over and ask directions? <laughs> <laughs> Are you out of your mind? And then I'm hearing, you don't know the way. I didn't know if he needed to trust me or needed a spanking. (laughs) He needed to trust me. The resurrection tells you that God knows the way. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Resurrected faith knows that, believes that, and lives by that. Let me ask you, which kind of faith do you have? You have faith in a resurrection or faith in the person behind a resurrection? Do you have like a faith that just says, "Uh uh-huh, you know you're not really on a playing field if that's your faith? Do you have a faith that just says, yeah, I believe in Jesus and God and empty tomb and all that? Or do you have a faith that says, I believe that he did that for me. I will never understand why he did that for me because I frankly am not worth the life of Jesus. But he gave his life for me, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. The loving God. The Bible says God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. That's the resurrection faith we need to believe in. A resurrection faith that trusts him, that he died for you. So if you're ever getting baptized and the pastor says, is it your wish to be baptized? And you say, yes, it is. Are you trusting in Christ's work on the cross? For you personally, you can say, yeah, I don't really understand why he would do that, but I trust him. I trust that he loves me. If you're not sure, if you're kind of in that first category, you want to be in that second category, I would invite you in the silence of your heart to pray with me. Let's stand together as we pray. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to say the words that might express your heart. These are not magic words. This is just a way to verbalize what you may be feeling in your heart. And so in the quietness of your own spirit, in the silence of your own heart, if you're not not really sure you have the resurrected saving faith. And if these words match what you're feeling in your heart, then just silently express that to God as I pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we see our need for you.
that we need a touch from the divine, that we need a different sense of purpose in our life, that we need to be rid of some of the guilt we might feel, or a whole bunch, that we could stand some relief from the shame we might experience. And we understand, although we don't understand why, Jesus, we understood that you gave yourself so we could be free of that. We turn our hearts away from that toward you. We trust not in history, not just in nodding our head, but we trust in you personally, Jesus, to have loved us and given yourself for us. Greater love has no one in this than to lay down one's life for a friend. Thank you for doing that. We trust you. We want to follow you with all our hearts. We want to see how you will cause us to grow. For it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.